mergers, especially when they, they fit on paper, um, they're a little bit about like getting a, a new roommate that you like. Mm. Um, and that you know the, the first couple of days you're like I really I really like this guy and we, we have fun and you know we watch the same TV shows and you know blah 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 and whatever and then you find out that he used your toothpaste. Hey guys, welcome to Startup Handbedowns, the podcast that passes insights from founders and thought leaders down to the next generation. I'm your host, Philip Kusumu, and thank you so much for giving me your time. I promise it'll be worth it. So today I had the pleasure of interviewing Andrew McGill, who's an entrepreneur and product guy. Andrew has been through two exits where the ideas have been in the early stages of development. So he knows a thing or two about how to build meaningful products. Andrew is currently the VP of product at Pager, a New York-based startup that's transforming the way customers interact with their healthcare. Pager has raised over $34 million to date. They allow you to interact with your doctor or carer through your phone at any time, anywhere. It's super easy and it really is transforming the way that people can look after their health and well-being. Another super easy and useful platform is Blinkist, who are sponsors of this podcast. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I find it super hard to find time to disconnect and learn something new. It's not easy with everyone and everything competing for your time and attention, whether that be work or your startup or your side hustle. You may think you don't have time to read a book or develop yourself. If this sounds familiar, there's an app I highly recommend you guys check out called Blinkist. Blinkist is an app that condenses the best-selling non-fiction books down to their key takeaways for you to read or listen to in just 15 minutes. If you listen to some of the earlier episodes of Startup Hand-Me-Downs, I used to end the show with three main points just to hit things home. That's exactly what Blinkist does, but does it in just 15 minutes, which is awesome. A few weeks back, I listened to How Not to Worry by Paul McGee, and instead of reading a 257-page book, I got everything I needed to know about worrying in just 15 minutes. The main points, that was it. This week, I listened to Growth Hacker Marketing by Ryan Holiday. I'm already a huge fan of Ryan, so getting his insights on Growth Hacker Marketing in just 15 minutes was perfect. So guys, right now, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. Go to blinkist.com slash handmedowns to start your free seven-day trial and get 25% off of a Blinkist premium membership. That's Blinkist, spelt B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T. Blinkist.com slash handmedowns to get 25% off and start your seven-day free trial. That's Blinkist.com slash handmedowns. Right, let's get into the action. So, Andrew, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Oh, thanks for having me. Awesome. So, Andrew, when you are out and about, how do you introduce yourself to people? Uh, uh, hi, uh, my name is Andrew. Uh, that's typically how I start. And then if they say, oh, okay, Andrew, so what do you do? Uh, usually I try <laughs> to avoid that question. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but if forced, uh, <laughs> Andrew McKill and I work in product. Okay, still quite vague. It's good. I mean, vague is good. You yeah. don't want no, people to ask so many questions. Very, it's very intentional. Yeah, I good. don't like to answer questions about my job, so you're lucky you got me here. Cool. So listen, before we get into like what you're doing now at Pager, etc., I want to like start from the beginning. All right. Yeah. So like, talk to me about 
early life? Like, where did you grow up? Uh, I grew up in uh, the suburbs outside of Chicago. Uh, and then as soon as I had the opportunity to get out of high school and, uh, and, and uh, leave my parents' house, I did. Uh, actually, at 17, I uh, got out of my parents' house and moved to the city of Chicago and spent, uh, my math's not that good, but um, spent uh, roughly 15 years uh, there before moving to New York. Wow. And you just, what was it that made you want to leave your, your parents' house or the town? I, you know, I, I had a, I had an audacity or I had the, uh, I had the desire to uh, grow up as fast as I possibly could. Now looking back on it, I, I wish I'd stayed in high school longer. So you just left high school. You're like, I'm done with this. No, actually I, I high school is a lot of fun, but, uh, I don't know. I just, uh, I had, uh, the, I don't want to call it the ambition cause it's definitely not that. Um, but, uh, I just, uh, I, I wanted to, uh, grow up and, and get out on my own and see, see what I could do. Yeah. But I guess when you moved from your parents' house into the city, what did you, what did you do? I went to, I went to college. Uh, I went to, uh, the university of Illinois, uh, at Chicago. So same, same, uh, same school as the one that's in, uh, Champaign-Urbana. Uh, but, uh, with the added benefit of a, uh, pretty urban, uh, environment and the third largest city in the United States to do it. And then, what, so what did you study there? Uh, I stu- studied marketing. And uh, not, not to say that I've never used uh, elements of that degree, but for the most part, I've never used elements of that degree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's usually how it goes, you know. Yeah, I've, I've, uh, I, I kind of I look, uh, look at college or, or university uh, for you. Uh, I kind of look at uh, I look at that experience as, as that's an opportunity to prove that you can uh, you can solve problems on your own and most of, of what you learn there is is is, is really uh, is really about proving that you can do that absolutely and so you finish college you make it through and then you know what did you do after that what did you decide to do I see that you ended up at a a startup or a tech company perk yeah perk spot so 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 actually in in um, in uh, in college, uh, I you know when you get to you know like your sophomore or junior year, typically that's about time that you, you got to start looking for internships. And uh, I, I did one, and I didn't really care for it um, because I didn't feel like I was really doing much or learning much. Um, it was it was more about you know being an intern, right? Yeah, <laughs> sort yeah. of in the it's description. Like, yeah. Um, but but uh, so so what I did is I decided that uh, for my next round or my next summer. I said, you know what, I'm actually going to go, uh, I, I don't know why I had this this idea, but I said, I'm going to go start a business. Mm. Um, and one of the things that I'd done in my internship is I'd actually written case studies, right? So it was a small uh, technology company and I'd written case studies, which I, truth be told, I'm not sure why they'd, they'd selected me to write case studies because I was not definitely not the most appropriate person to do it. But in, instead of getting another internship, I went out and started a company and I actually started a company with a with a classmate who lived in the in the building, see, I'm, I can translate these into to, um, in, into the UK for you, in the flat next door. Yeah, oh, there you go, um, good use. Good use yeah. of the word flat, and, yeah. And he, yeah, exactly, right. Uh, he, he lived in the flat next door, and uh, he actually, he had spent his prior summer in an internship. He'd actually sold uh, textbooks door to door, and he was the top salesperson in the United States doing that. Wow. Um, so he, he basically learned how to sell. I had a, a business idea, and we actually went out and started a, a company uh, as an alternative to our next internship. And basically, what we did is we found freelance writers. So, so, so basically, you know, folks had you know studied journalism, something like that, and, and they actually you know had the, the professional chops to 
to uh, to write and create. And, and we actually built a we built a business uh, around that, and that's what we did uh, for our internship. And actually, you know, continued to to do it, uh, you know, past that summer. So that that really kind of um, scratched my entrepreneurial itch, so to speak. Um, and and we actually built a, a pretty healthy little business around that. Now we made a classic entrepreneurial mistake. Uh, in the fact that we had built a business that was too complicated for us to hire anybody else to do, yeah. <laughs> we're the only ones that could do it. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, right as we we sort of d- discovered that, uh, we ended up in the Great Recession, uh, and uh, our our sales prospects, uh, as you might imagine, dimmed. And one of the the, the skills that I'd sort of taught myself, getting getting back to um, how little I used my uh, my marketing degree, one of the the skills that I taught myself was, was we needed a website, we needed to build all sorts of things as we kind of built up that business. So I taught myself uh, how to code, mm. and so um, while it was was definitely not true, I, I marketed myself as hey, I could help build you know help help people build websites and, and stuff like that, and I started making some some calls around to to my network and, and stumbled across a business that was actually thriving uh, through through the Great Recession, and truth be told, I, I needed a job. Uh, so this company called Perkspot, a friend of mine who'd started that, his name was Chris Hill. He was uh, maybe a year and a half into that business. And Perkspot is a um, basically a portal for corporate discounts. So if you've ever worked at, at a large organization, even small organizations now, uh, that, that have access to discounts on cell phone plans and travel and all sorts of interesting uh, you know, products and services like that. Um, he, he built a sort of a consolidated approach to that. And, uh, I reached out to him and said, Hey, I'm a, I know you're looking for a software developer and I happen to be one and, uh, would love to, to come and talk to your team. And it, it, it kind of, it kind of went from, from, from there. And, wow. uh, probably the, the, the biggest thing that, that came out of Perkspot was I, I, re- I got, you know, on the ground, hands-on training on how to be uh, a software engineer. Yeah. Um, I, I basically got uh, effectively a computer science degree uh, out, of, out, job. Of, out of doing that. That's a great coming out of college story. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, no, it sounds like it was just kind of like figuring things out as you were going along. So ultimately, you guys, you and your friend initially, you started off, was, would you call it an agency that you started off with, the journalist? It, you, you, we didn't realize that we were starting an agency, Yeah, uh, but we were starting an agency. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I was like, he's making the agency sound really sophisticated right now. But <laughs> yeah, I, no, no, we, we, we effectively started. I mean, there's so many things to unpack here. Like, how did you guys know that you wanted to kind of leverage the skill sets of someone else, first of all? And then secondly, how did you even go about like pricing that and setting up the agency? And like, what did you guys do first? Was it like, did you just find a writer from college and you were like, hey, I can get you a gig? No, no, no. We we actually, so, so, so first of all, in terms of leveraging other people's skills, we were sort of like, well, we don't have, um, you know, <laughs> we're, we're sophomores and juniors in college. So uh, we don't have any skills. So we definitely got to find somebody that has one. Uh, but but our other sort of, our, our thesis was kind of fundamentally uh, underneath the surface was number one, that there, there are small businesses out there, sort of the way that I'd done this internship was well. You had a small business that didn't have enough people, and they needed to create case studies for their their marketing materials and their collateral. And and so our our, our sort of assumption was sort of on the the, the demand side. You've got a lot of small businesses that uh, you know don't uh, you know have have needs, but they don't either have the skills or they don't have the time, or you know you name it. So so there's there's definitely a demand there. And then the other side, our thesis was. 
you've got uh, you've got freelance writers who are inherently not salespeople, right? Right. So um, you know, gr- great at what they do, but 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 not salespeople. So our thought was, well, we'll we'll sit there and we'll we'll bridge that gap. We'll find small businesses, we'll find writers, and we'll we'll connect them. And so. You know, agency slash almost uh, you know sort of marketplace. Yeah, yeah. When it when it when it came uh, to, to to pricing it, <laughs> pricing was well, what does the freelance uh, writer bill out at, and uh, how can we how, how can we take a commission or a percentage uh, off the top? And uh, truth be told, we well underpriced what we were doing. Um, you know, when we looked at some of the contemporaries, we could have charged a lot more, but hey, we were young and we didn't know what we were doing. Yeah. And a similar, I guess what you guys experienced then is ultimately what we probably see today in terms of agencies starting up social media agencies, right? It's like, Hey, small business yeah. is going to use Instagram. Hey, we can do that. Yeah. We were, we were sort of the ultimate middleman, right? Yeah. Um, or maybe not even the ultimate middleman, uh, but we, 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 we middleman it. We, we connected, uh, the, the, the folks, uh, that needed it and, and kind of helped them design programs, uh, around it too. And with regards to like transition into Perkspot, I guess, as you said, you know, the financial crisis took place, recession, customers started swindling down. I guess you guys didn't sell anything. You didn't sell the agency. It just kind of like fizzled out. Yeah, no, actually, actually what we did is we took the, uh, existing contracts and the existing relationships between, uh, the clients that we had and the, 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 the writing staff that we had, and we just sort of handed the contracts over to them and said, don't worry about us anymore. Um, and and quite a few of those, you know, continued, uh, may even continue, honestly, uh, to, to this day. I don't know. I haven't checked up on them in, uh, in, in a handful of years now, but some of them were, were very much still ongoing. Um, you know, well, well beyond, uh, us winding, uh, winding that company down. And so you end up at Perkspot where you can kind of get a crash course in how to code. <laughs> and it sounds yep. like at the same time, so Perkspot, they were focused on benefits and discounts. The same time, I guess Groupon was, you know, starting up down the, across the street yep. from you guys or something. That like, is, that is absolutely right. <laughs> what was going on over there? Like this discount town? Like how did this whole, like how did that idea come about? I know you kind of joined a company that was already full swing, but what made you join Perkspot as opposed to Groupon? Um... Well, I didn't know the founder of Groupon, so that was certainly a factor in that. Yeah. <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> um, actually, that's that's probably the answer. But but I also I, you know I, I liked the team that uh, had been assembled at Perkspot, and you know we, we can talk about this uh, you know in in a little while here. But I also liked the fact that it was B two B. That was kind of the the environment that that I found myself in when when we uh, when we did this agency approach, and I really liked the B two B. Uh, space rather than sort of the direct to, to, to consumer space. So B two B, it made a lot of sense to me. Had a good team. Uh, had people that uh, that knew their way around computer science, um, and uh, you know, it was a great place for, for for me to get some mentorship, some some knowledge, and some growth, and um, and and also continue to sort of operate in that entrepreneurial environment. I think when I joined Perks, about there were eight employees. Wow. Um, so. Uh, it was it was not uh, a big company yet, um, and, and and they also hired me, so I, I think that was probably a big factor <laughs> as well. So at Perkspot, you were there for just over two years. I guess in that time, you must have done so many different things. And I guess how did that role impact what you went on to do after that? Well, so 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 kind of what happened next um, is really an offshoot of Perkspot. 
Um, so, so I, I never quote unquote left Perkspot. You know, we, 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 we continued to, to, to build our business at Perkspot continued to figure out how to market to consumers through, um, you know, through B2B to C channels, um, continue to build our program. I think during that time frame, I think we re- rewrote our product, uh, at least, uh, at least two times, um, and continue to evolve it in service, you know, uh, even greater amount of, you know, sort of large corporate clients. I think, um, you know, by the time I'd left, we had, you know, a good handful of the fortune five and, you know, Parkspot's still very much, uh, very much an entity today. And, yeah. um, they've, uh, they, they've got, uh, well, well more than that as they've continued to, to, to grow their enterprise and grow their model. After Parkspot, I guess, or when you transitioned or spun out of, that what would become spotlight, I guess. Yeah. So, um, so, so, so at Perkspot, so again, corporate discount programs and, and the, 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 the model underneath the hood, uh, you know, at least at the time with Perkspot was so effectively an affiliate. It's affi- yeah. I was going to say, um, this is like an affiliate model, referral links, yeah, yep. codes. Yeah. That, that's, that, that's, that's fundamentally what it was. And so the idea was, you know, if, if we could, uh, if we could get employees of, of the companies that we service to use uh, our, our, our discount program, uh, engage with the discount program, they go and they can save, you know, w- whatever the, the, the offer is uh, at any individual sort of a merchant, um, we would then see a percentage of that transaction. So employee saves, you know, 20% at Southwest Airlines off their next vacation, now Perkspot gets 5% of that. So we were very incentivized uh, to engage employees and, and, and get them to, to use the use the product. And um, we, we did a pretty good job at that. And, and, and basically, we, we had a, a number of different employers come back to us and say, hey, you guys, you guys seem pretty good uh, at engaging our, our employees. And they said, um, but we, we've got this whole other suite of benefits, you know, you know, outside of, of, of discount programs. Uh, that that we'd love to see if you could help us out with it was basically the, the what they came to us and, and said and, and um, you know we said oh oh great you know obviously we're, we're entrepreneurial we said uh, we said what is that and they said well it's a group of, of programs that we call voluntary benefits um, which I mean at the time I didn't fundamentally I assumed it was voluntary but that's about that all I knew about it mm-hmm. um, and, and basically said these are Aflac style benefits right so these are critical illness benefits, accident benefits, sometimes life insurance uh, products and the like. So, so all sort of those things that, that, that sit around sort of a core benefits program of health and dental uh, and, and the like, um, which increasingly at the time, because this is probably, uh, call it like 2010, 2011, um, as high deductible healthcare programs were increasingly becoming uh, more popular and the like, we, we you know, th- these benefits actually started to make a lot more sense, right? You've got a $10,000 deductible. Well, um, having something that's sort of helped fill in the gaps was, 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 uh, was valuable. And so we had a number of clients said, Hey, can, can you help us with this? And so, so being entrepreneurial, of course, we, we, we said yes. And, and we went and kind of looked at it, what these programs were and, and learned a little bit more about them. Of course, discovered that they were, you know, sort of these Aflac style benefits. We discovered that there was um, really a, a, a market uh, fit for them. And, and we decided, Hey, we're going to, we're going to get into this space. And so um, our, our first attempt at that is we actually built um we actually built sort of a module inside of the discount program, which was basically, you know, we'll, we'll connect you, uh, we'll help you understand uh, voluntary benefits as an employee, and we'll help you you go make a purchase on those. And um, our, our first uh, our first opportunity was with a with a with a university that had I don't know uh, call it forty thousand uh, employees or something like that. Yeah. And we 
we set up the whole program. We built out this big educational suite, and we uh, we, we turned to the carrier that was responsible for uh, for underwriting and delivering these benefits. And we said, okay, uh, we've got all our stuff done. Where do we send uh, employees uh, to 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 go and make the purchase? Again, that was sort of our our, our model. Was you know we, we didn't transact any actual business, and uh, basically the the insurance company came back to us and said, that's not how this business works. And we we're like, oh well, that's a problem. And they said, don't worry, we'll 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 set something up for you. And so so they did, and you know we launched the program, and and, and we understood what the commissions looked like. They were certainly better than than Southwest Airline tickets, certainly better than TVs at Best Buy, and you know we we launched the program. We didn't have any sort of real time reporting on what was happening. Um, but you know, once the, the the open enrollment period for these benefits had ended, we were like, well, let's see what we did, and we sold uh, zero policies. Oh wow! Okay. Uh, you know, we, we got we got several thousand people to follow. You know, because we had our own analytics, so we knew that several thousand people had responded to our to our to our engagement marketing. We knew that several thousand people had followed the the links and gone out to to this carrier solution that they'd put together. And nobody bought a policy. And we're like, well, something happened there. And so I, I said, you know, let, let me, can I have a, can I have like a test account to go try this out? And I got in there and it was like, you know, it, it was a shopping experience, sort of. Um, and it was like, how, how many voluntary benefits would you like to buy? And I was like, well, I don't even totally understand what it is. And, and it was like, it didn't tell me how much it cost either. And mm. I was like, well, no wonder. No one, no one bought this. And so we, we basically at that point said, okay, if we're going to be in this business, um, we're going to actually have to build our own shopping cart. We, we, we need to build this so that the experience feels uh, and, and looks like a, a true blue consumer experience. It helps people understand what they're buying, shows them how much it's going to cost. If it's going to be coming out of their paycheck, tell them how much it's going to cost on a, on, a, on a per paycheck basis. And you know, we, we made the decision to, to, to go and build that product and, and we actually launched it then with it, with our first customer, which was, which was Starbucks, Starbucks and, and actually the, the, the insurance company behind it was Aflac. And, uh, we launched that and, and, and we did what, what, what we, uh, what we set out to do with the first one. And, and we sold quite a few policies and, and we were like, there's, there's a business here. Now the, the challenge we saw is, you know, Starbucks has, I don't know, a hundred thousand, it might be a little high, but let's call it a hundred thousand uh, employees nationwide and, and we were only able to get about one percent of them engaged with this offering so, so we decided at that point in time that well in order to to really maximize uh revenue and maximize the the number of people that, that we impacted with this we said you know and again thinking about sort of the thesis uh, or the idea behind these products is they're supposed to be a complement to health insurance mm. particularly high deductible health insurance and so we said you know sort of our our, our brilliant idea was to say you know what why don't we help people buy health insurance? Let's help them buy dental insurance and then let's show them how these benefits fit into that equation. Uh, and then let's you know take all the things that we've already built in terms of simplifying the experience and, and the like. And uh, we decided at that point that we'd basically started an, another business. Right. Um, and that's kind of that's kind of where Spotlight came from. Ah. Um, so, so we actually cracked off uh, you know and created a, a new entity, created a new brand. Uh, played off the Perkspot name with with Spotlight. And, Got it. Uh, we built uh, we built uh, we we effectively built a private exchange. This is another one of those where I, I didn't realize what I was building, but here we were. Yeah. Built an agency the first time, built a private exchange this time. Didn't realize exactly <laughs> didn't realize what, I, just what, went what out. I was up to. But, but that's what we built, and you know took took that took that business out to market. In our first year, we got one client. Right. Okay. Um, so many things to unpack here. So many things to unpack here.
you were serving the need of a customer initially. Um, and that's yes. how this idea came about, right? That's how Spotlight yeah, spun right. out of Perk Spot. Um, yep. And then, so in this role, were you now comfortable kind of building this technology yourself or were you taking more of a product position? Like what was your role in, in all of this? Where were you? Yeah, yeah, I would say, I would say by the time Spotlight actually became a, a, a true blue brand, I was, I, was, I was formally in the product role. I wasn't allowed to write code anymore. Um, you know, I actually, I, uh, along with a counterpart of mine, I actually wrote the first version of Spotlight. Right. Um, but by the time we'd really started to grow, we, we recognized that, hey, we're, we're going to need someone who's uh, kind of more connected to the business, uh, who's, who's not essentially an engineer. That's about the only way we can scale. So that's why I took on the, the product role. Huh, got it. And so how long did it actually take you to build out the, the, the actual product? And like, where did you start? Um, I mean, the, 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 the first version of Spotlight, which I think was still called like Perk Spot Benefits or something uh, at that point in time, I think we did it in like three months. Right. Wow. That's really quick. That's real quick. <laughs> yeah. Well, we were, we were a small team and, and uh, in a lot of ways we didn't know what we were doing. So that makes it uh, a lot easier. <laughs> yeah. And so year one goes by and you've got one customer. I mean, like, how did that make you guys feel? And, you know, were you trying to get more customers? Uh, were you just trying to refine your yeah, product? Yeah, we were. You were trying? We, okay. <laughs> we were definitely trying to get more customers. And in fact, that that customer came in at sort of like the, the at zero hour. Right. Um, we, we'd actually started internal conversations of, hey, we, we didn't. We didn't figure this out right. And did um, may, may, maybe we need to refocus our energy on Perkspot. Yeah, and did Perkspot kind of like fund this, or did you guys get external capital? Nope, it was entirely funded by by Perkspot. Right, got it. And so I guess eventually, like once you did get that first customer, how did it go? And then how did you guys continue to grow that? Well, so so it, I mean, it, it it went well. I mean, it it, it proved out uh, the thesis. It proved out our model. I think uh, about thirty percent. Uh, so so we engaged roughly one hundred percent of the employee population. So so that thesis worked, right? right? Because people needed to buy their 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 sort of uh, the industry they called the the core health benefits. Um, so so we engaged. So 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 that part worked. Uh, we had a reason. We had a hook to pull people in and engage them. Uh, and then uh, secondarily, we sold something like 25% of that population ended up buying a voluntary benefit. Um, so, so, so that thesis uh, worked out pretty well uh, as well. Uh, and, and then, of course, the, the, the other magic of this whole thing was we could give this platform, we could give this solution away um, for free because we were paid effectively as a benefit broker. Uh, behind the scenes so kind of following on the same model that we built at Perkspot where right. you know, it's it's uh, no cost to the employer but uh, but but it's funded by you know the 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 the, the vendors or the the you know the benefit companies that are behind it ah makes sense and so you got the first customer it's doing well and then the second customer and then did it get to a point where it was just like customers were rolling in and the team was growing like how, how big did this actually get well, so so what's interesting about the benefits industry is it uh, it, it, it be, because of the way open enrollment is structured, um, you you really uh, only have about three months a year that you end up with a lot of clients mm. coming in, right? Um, so you know we, we we sold that one customer. We went through the open enrollment period with them in the fall, and then 
you know, as far as, you know, upcoming open enrollments or new clients we can engage with, we went probably another nine months before we got another one. Right. Um, I mean, we, we had maybe contracts before we actually were, were, were deployed with another client. It was fall again. And so sort of for the next round, we, 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 you know, we still didn't really know, we, we didn't properly have product market fit, right? The first client is, is oftentimes easier because you're selling them on the vision and you, you know, they acknowledge, you know, sort of the limitations of the platform, but they mm. say, Hey, I get it. I like it. Particularly in this case, it was, it was no cost. So, so the next year we, we, we did five. Uh, and that was a lot uh, yeah. for us. That was a lot of spinning plates. And again, we were, now moving from from being a we've gone from being in in probably 18 months we've gone from uh building discount programs to enrollment software and we'd also sort of ventured into to um true enterprise software which i call a benefits administration system um, we'd started to to have the underpinnings of the foundations uh of that um so it, it was a it was big leaps and we were we were learning and building all sort of uh, at the same time what was kind of like the hardest or the biggest challenge that you faced, if you can remember, uh, during that time where, you know, things seemed to be moving in the right direction? Uh, but I mean, I think so. I mean, there was single biggest challenge is a tough one. And there was there was there was uh, we'll call it myriad challenges. Right. So it was, <laughs> okay, can we build this software. Uh, how do we fund the business? You know, we'd started to move into this 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 weird cycle, right, where. You 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 could you could close business. You did work in the fall, and then that was sort of you had to live on that for the next nine months before you saw you know meaningful revenue again, mm. right? So 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 we were running into this weird cycle where you know in order to grow the business, um, you know, and and, and uh, continue to be bootstrapped and, and live off the capital that we brought in from a revenue perspective, you, you had these these big gaps uh, in in time. Um, so we had to figure that out, uh, implementation, um, anybody that'll tell you that's anybody that's in the benefits industry will tell you is that implementation is an awesomely tough task because, uh, employee benefit programs, they may have multiple different classes of employees and part-time mm. workers get this and workers that work at location X get this and, uh, workers at location Y and they're all on different payroll schedules. And so being able to, to take all of this and boil it down so that you can deliver a consumer experience that makes sense to an employee who doesn't necessarily understand all the, the, the inner workings and the fundamentals of their benefits, um, that, was, that was really tough, especially since we were not um, by any means experts in this. Uh, and at the same time, we had to figure out how to sell it. Uh, at the same time, we had to figure out how to, how to, how to find product market fit. So a um, lot of just plates in the air yeah. at, at the same time and trying to figure that all out. Because no, I mean, I guess eventually you guys probably hired a benefits expert, but at the time you guys didn't come from that background, right? No, no, we, we definitely, definitely uh, did not. And, and we, we brought people into the organization who, who, who knew more about this than we did. Um, I think another interesting uh, challenge that, that we saw here, and I think this is one um, that, that I've, it's, it's a, it's one that I've seen startups make time and time again, particularly in the, in the B2B space or the B2B to C space is, um, you know, you, you always kind of want to, um, as sort of the, the, the creators of the product and creators of the business, you want to bring in somebody to sell it. Yeah. Right. Um, but I think there was a, a, a real sort of key challenge around the fact that, and like I said, I, I've seen this a number of times is, um, 
about the only people that can sell the, the business at, at that point in time. It's, it's not codified uh, enough. It's not systematized enough. But the only people that can sell it are the people that have, have created it. Mm. Um, and you know, it's funny. We, we saw that back when I was in college, right? Uh, we couldn't sell that. We, we couldn't bring other people in to sell that business um, because we were the only ones that could kind of do the, the song and the dance to make it happen. And we saw this time and again, we saw it at Spotlight again. We wanted to bring in people uh, who could who could help us sell it. But um, they were like, it, it's, it's, not, uh, it's not solidified enough. You don't have product market fit. It's very difficult for a professional salesperson to come and sell it. Mm, yeah, no, that's super interesting. And you, you probably see that, like you said, you see a lot of startups fall into, oh, we're just going to hire a sales guy who's got a track record in enterprise sales. Yeah. And he'll do it. And it's like, got a, actually, no. <laughs> Yeah, they've they've got a big Rolodex and they've done this before, and it's like they have, but they've done it for more mature uh, organizations, more mature uh, uh, you know uh, products. Yeah. So eventually, um, Rally Health come knocking, or maybe they didn't. I'm not too sure. But how did that conversation come about for Rally Health to eventually come in and acquire Spotlight? Yeah. So so. Um, so, so uh, we were in year two, we, 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 we sold five clients and it, it kind of became clear to us that um, the, the sales cycle on this is relatively long mm-hmm. uh, and, um, you know, revenue comes in about three months of the year. So we actually said, okay, you know, we, we've been bootstrapped for a while. We built up some equity. We built up some capital in the business. Um, but in order to get the things done that we need to do in order to deliver on our roadmap and in order to really um, you know, sort of, sort of uh, do what we need to do here. We're going to need to bring in some external capital, yeah. basically, to to, uh, to to make this work. And so, we, we went out uh, on fundraising, and, and we kind of looked at two kind of categories of investors. We looked at um, we looked at the sort of typical VCs, uh, and we also uh, talked to some strategics. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, actually, had. Uh, <laughs> Had made the decision to to go the VC route. We had a we had a term sheet that, that we'd signed. Um, we 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 um, we reached out. Um, you know, as we were about ready to close the round, uh, we reached out to sort of everybody that we talked to through the process and just said, "Hey, um, doors closing. Uh, speak now, forever hold your peace, or we'll find <laughs> you on the the Series B." Right? Yeah. yeah. And uh, one of the groups that that we'd talked to. Um, was Rally Health through that strategic round, and they responded and said, "I, I don't. We don't want to invest. We'd like to buy." And so now, all of a sudden, we had a, a sort of a tough quandary in our hands. We had to, to make a decision between kind of going it uh, alone uh, and taking uh, venture money mm. uh, and, and diluting our business, or or selling it uh, now. And so that's uh, we ultimately uh, made the decision to, uh, to 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 sell to Rally, and we we we. we we particularly like that decision because, um, you know, the rally wasn't simply acquiring the business. They were, um, going to, you know, position us and grow us, uh, as a product line. Yeah. Cause that also um, so really became rally choice, right? That's correct. Yeah. So, so we actually, um, really kind of got to build, uh, a, a, you know, we, we, we continued to own our P and L, um, and it was rally making the investment and taking some of the risk off the table. Uh, as we became, you know, sort of equity holders in Rally, mm. um, and they came in with, uh, you know, much bigger, uh, much bigger uh, pocketbook than uh, than than we would have, you know, had otherwise. Of course, no, that sounds like an amazing outcome. And at the time, so the Series A, you were raising how much were you raising? 
Uh, it's north of 10 million. At what valuation? Uh, I don't remember. <laughs> and what was your revenue at the time, if you remember? Um, so our revenue, I think it was projected because we'd then gone from like five and this was through a stretch where we were projecting more like 30 plus. Wow. Um, so we'd, we'd actually really started to put, put gas on the fire and figured out how at least, uh, from a, from a founding team perspective to sell it. So, uh, our revenue, I think it had reached, uh, something like 3 million ish, something at that point in time. Okay. So it sounds like it was a, it was a smart acquisition or strategic to join. And so, yeah, and so, so you guys join Rally Health. They're going to help you create, you know, Rally Choice. And what was that integration like? I mean, because I hear so many different stories after the acquisition. And some people are like, you know, I was just on LinkedIn the whole time working my earn out period. Some people are like, you know, I, I wasn't really engaged. I guess for you guys, you guys were super engaged to help really we, build we had, Rally Choice. We, we, we. Yeah, we had to be. So, so, so. I mean, a couple couple things happened through 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 that time period. Is is number one, we we kind of proceeded with the the hiring and staffing plan that we kind of drawn up, uh, were we to, to kind of take funding on our own. So we went through a massive period of employee growth as we added headcount and engineering and product and sales and and, and everything like. Um, and we also went through. And it was my first acquisition, so or, uh, so it was uh, it was also you know learning how to do that. You know, on the surface, Rally and Spotlight were uh, and, and are uh, a great fit, right? So so it was you know both companies focused on how to bring consumer technology on a self service basis to to consumers and employees, and you know we had sort of a lot of similar and shared DNA, not not only the consumer approach, but just in terms of the people that we had on the teams together, but. Uh, one of the things that I learned through through the through the acquisition uh, period, particularly sort of the first years as we got integrated, was you know it, it mergers, especially when they they fit on paper, they're a little bit about like getting a, a new roommate that you like, mm. um, and that you know the, the for, for first couple of days you're like I really I really like this guy and we we have fun and you know we watch the same TV shows and you know blah 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 and whatever, and then you find out that he used your toothpaste, <laughs> you know so. <laughs> Um, so, that so is we, a funny we had analogy. to learn how to, yeah, we, we had to learn how to do all that. Right. And so, you know, it's like, oh, they're using our toothpaste. And so, so you, <laughs> and, and you get to learn to play in a, a different environment. Rally was a much more mature startup than, than we were. I mean, yeah. we, uh, when you added our 30 some odd person team to, to what they had, it was well over a hundred employees. Um, they had more revenue, they had, uh, you know, bigger clients, they had different expectations. Yeah. And so it was a, it was a, it was a big adjustment, but uh, it, it was definitely one that uh, was, was, was worth the ride and um, was a, was a good deal of fun. Absolutely. And so eventually, you know, you guys built out Rally Choice. Um, what, how long were you at Rally before you decided to, okay, I'm actually going to transition out now. And, you know, I think the work here is done or did you just fall out of love with the product? So, so I, I think I spent uh, roughly something like um, three years uh, at Rally, um, and, and and really through, through that time period, Rally then was acquired itself. Yeah. Um, so Rally was acquired by you know Health Group, uh, and became effectively a division of Optum. Um, so you know I was I think employee effectively employee number three at Spotlight, and I so if you include the the founding group, I was the third of the founding group uh, uh, that, that built Spotlight. I think I was employee seventy something uh, at Rally when we joined, and then when we joined United, I was employee two hundred and fifty three thousand. I don't 
think it uh, matters at that point yeah. in time. So, so, so while uh, I really liked Rally, is we, we weren't a startup anymore. Yeah, um, and that's that's a, that's the the, the price uh, of success. So you know that's that's kind of how these things happen and, and they grow. And um, so so yeah, I became uh, I became an employee effectively of, of United Health Group, and um, I got the uh, the itch to get back to to my natural habitat and um, get back to uh, to a startup. Which is what you're doing now at Pager. Um, That's correct. So you ultimately got acquired twice, I guess. Um, yes. Which is, you know, a story that not many people can tell. During that whole time, from the first client coming to you guys at Perkspot saying, "Look, we need this. We found this solution. Uh, do you think you can do this?" To I guess getting acquired the second time. I guess you're pro- you're pretty much a product pro at this point. And I, and I, I would really love to kind of delve into the kind of product management process because I think you've gone through idea, spin out to again executing and you know building Rally Health. What were some of the the challenges as a product manager that you found when dealing with a, a team and it was no longer just you and the founding team? Like, what were some of the issues that you found when it came to growing and managing the product process? Well, so so I'll I'll, I'll caveat. Your statement. I, I, I in no way would consider myself a product pro. I have uh, hired, I have worked with some people who are proper product pros, <laughs> but uh, but I, I am uh, I am by no means uh, you know just just like I became a software developer is sort of figuring it out and doing it. That's how I've learned product management, and I, I've worked with some people who are a heck of a lot better at it than I am. Um, I've just been been fortunate enough to to participate and, and learn from uh, from from those folks kind of as I've I've gone along. That's that's a that's a nice modest way to, to start off. <laughs> I guess, um, I guess, yeah, yeah, but yeah. Walk me through your, your product process, I guess. Yeah, I mean, so from a product process perspective, right? There's I guess kind of kind of kind of couple things I'd say. So, right, this is how it should be in an ideal world where everything goes as it's supposed to and goes uh, to plan, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, the, 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 the best product process in the world you know, starts with engaging stakeholders, whether that's business development, internal uh, teams or like. Um, you work with them to, to develop high-level uh, requirements based on you know, what, what, what they need. You ask the right questions. You take that. You, you, you work with engineering to produce high-level estimates, uh, then and then you take all of the things that have been asked for and you, you you prioritize or you you stack rank those needs based on business value and cost right so think of it uh, you know whatever the drivers are for your business but you know oftentimes it's it's like you know sort of revenue potential behind an ask there's um, what I would call sort of retradeability um, meaning you know I, I can build this may be a lot of revenue for uh, the company right now. But it's a feature that only one client, only one client will ever ask for. So I can't, uh, yeah, I can't make it really quarter my product. I can't resell it. Resellability is, is, is the better answer mm. or the better uh, definition. Uh, and then also your high level development, uh, co- you know, fr- from a cost perspective. Obviously, if something produces a lot of revenue and it costs very little money, well, that should be that should be somewhere near the top of your list. And, and so you mix that all together, and 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 it's a roadmap, right? And you you verify that with with your stakeholders and then sort of the, the call it the real work begins, right? Yeah. So that's breaking down those high level requirements into user stories and acceptance criteria. It's vetting those with your development team. It's pairing those back so that you can find opportunities to, to move faster and reduce scope. Uh, it's getting real estimates with that development team. So not the, not necessarily the t-shirt sizes, but more at the, 
the sprint and the, in the story level and, and then working through the development cycle, which is, you know, uh, that, that, that same, um, sort of sequence, but, but, but even longer as you move through development and QA and, uh, user acceptance testing and production and the like. So right. th- that's, I mean, that's the textbook answer. Yeah, that's, that's how auto work. Picture perfect answer. That's like yeah. how it's supposed to be. <laughs> right. But, but in reality, um, I would say that events rarely unfold, uh, to plan. Mm. Um, so, so, so what's important from a process perspective is making sure that you bake in agility and flexibility. Um, so, so this, you know, as I think about this, this is giving yourself space to be responsive to changes, uh, in scope, um, new requests, unforeseen bugs, uh, and, 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 and probably most important, uh, is coaching your team, uh, both in product and engineering to, to do the same. Um, you know, even the best engineers and the best product folks, they, they, they don't like change. Mm. Um, that's <laughs> like, I'm halfway through coding something. If you come to me and tell me it's different, you know, that's, that's incredibly frustrating. Yeah. Um, so, so it's, it's, it's the, 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 the sort of the best process is about managing change and, and controlling chaos, uh, so to speak. Um, that, that's really the, the best product process. I, um, I just finished watching Chernobyl, and so I've been using this this analogy everywhere. But what, what I learned from that TV show is that a <laughs> nuclear technician's job is basically to control the chaos of a nuclear reaction, right? So we, we know that if it's not controlled, it turns into a bomb. Yeah. <laughs> and if it's if 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 it's uh, if it's too controlled, it 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 basically um, it doesn't produce any any power. Yeah. Um, and and so. Um, that's kind of, I think, the ideal product management process is is making sure that 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 you're doing that and is applying control where it's necessary and, and, and giving chaos sort of freedom uh, and, and 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 managing and, and, and coaching to change um, when when you don't have it. Uh, it's it's definitely an art. So I guess maybe the, the best counsel is to hire people that that understand that um, that 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 can manage uh, themselves. Uh, and the people that work for them in that environment, and that that, that probably that's probably the, the the best product process. Maybe it's a hiring process. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe it sounds like a hiring process. And I guess why do you think startups or people in general get product wrong? You know, because if people are following these uh, steps, or if they are you know open to change and they're you know receptive to things not going according to plan, why do why do so many products fail, and why do people get this wrong? How much time do you have? <laughs> 10 minutes. <laughs> so <laughs> so it, I, I would say it's extremely situationally dependent, right? Yeah. The, 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 the you know, companies get the product wrong for an infinite amounts of, amount of reasons, right? So, so maybe it's product market fit, mm. right? Um, maybe, maybe, you know, a lot of people have great ideas. A lot of people, you know, a lot of times those ideas, those ideas don't work for one, one reason or another. Um, maybe it's not listening to stakeholders and, and not asking questions. And what I mean that by that is, um, you know, uh, folks I, I find often treat symptoms rather than underlying conditions, right? And I hate to take this to a, to a clinical example, but, you know, um, because that's, that's, that's uh, the industry I work in. But um, y- y- you have a patient that's complaining of a headache. Um, you know, Motrin or ibuprofen is not always the right answer. Right. Yeah. Sometimes it's something much different. That's a symptom. And, and I think, you know, when a client or a consumer says, well, I want this, you say, well, why? Right. Um, and there's always the, 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 the um, really overused, uh, particularly in product management, but there's the, 
you know, if Henry Ford had, had listened to people asking for, uh, for faster horses, then you'd never have a car. Right. But, but he listened, um, you know, to, to, to the underlying condition and, and what people really needed. Um, particularly in health tech, I see companies focus too much on ideas rather than execution. Mm. Um, not hiring the right team, failing to estimate, failing to figure out how to estimate well, becoming order takers. I mean, it, 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 it kind of, I guess it's, it kind of depends. Yeah. And so I guess my next question is what kind of, what kind of skills do you think the right product manager needs to have in order to be effective? And that can be both technical skills and more like softer skills as well. Yeah. Um, well, I guess, I guess number one, I'd say, actually I'm saying number one, but in no particular order is, uh, number one is, is communication, right? Um, in, in order to be an effective product manager, you have to be able to run good meetings. Uh, you have to be able to run good meetings with, um, with, with engineers. You have to be able to run good meetings with your peers and you need to be able to run good meetings with, um, with stakeholders again, whether they're, they're clients, um, or, or, or your internal business stakeholders. And, and, and I guess to add on to that, you also have to be an excellent writer. Um, and, and, you know, particularly when you're writing uh, a requirement, um, for, for, uh, an engineer, uh, words matter and, and uh, precision is key. Right. Um, and, uh, sort of the, the, the other thing, I guess that, that, that maybe, um, goes along with that. And one of the things that I see product managers often struggle with is if you were to ask me, you know, what, what is the difference between product management and, and engineering? Um, my, my classic answer is, is sort of product is concerned with what mm. and defining what engineering is concerned with how. And so um, a good product manager has to be able to communicate what without dipping their toe or even going deeper than that into how, right? Uh, at the end of the day, product management really shouldn't be concerned with the coding language, the, the, the environment, um, whatever. If, if engineering builds and delivers on your product requirements with duct tape, um, they, they've still done what they're supposed to do. Now, engineering's got some bigger problems above and beyond that. Um, but, but that's not what a product manager should be working, uh, working on. They're focused on delivering what and value to a user. And so, so precision is really key there. Um, another, another sort of skill is, uh, and this might apply beyond just product management, but I think it's particularly critical in, in a startup is, uh, one of the things that, that I coach our, our team to do is act like an executive. And, and what I mean by that is, um, whether they're actually working with executives in the business, working with their peers, or even the, the, the folks that work for them, it's don't just identify problems. Um, there's a lot of good, but you know, identifying a problem is, is the first step of, of any process. But, but the more important piece is identifying solutions, Yeah. right? Uh, and, and, and what I, what I always recommend is find three of them uh, and be prepared to present those options, make your case, and make a recommendation uh, on, on what the, 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 the right answer is. And uh, I'll keep going, but I, I know we've got uh, time's a factor here. So but the last one I'd say is curiosity. Um, so, so knowing when to ask questions, and I'd say, you know, for that matter, knowing how. To, to ask questions again to to, to get at um, you know uh, underlying conditions rather than than simply symptoms. Yeah, no, I think that that's awesome, and and something that I think you alluded to earlier is where you said product management is more art than science. Uh, but I guess there is some science involved, right? <laughs> well, is it, so products kind of got two, two components to it, right? There's there's process, uh, I think, which which in many ways uh, amounts to 
you know, in, in some sense, more of program and project management. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the other is sort of the, 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 tra- the, the strategy. And this is what uh, a lot of companies actually consider product, uh, although it's really kind of dependent on the organization. Sometimes it's process, sometimes it's strategy, sometimes it's both. And, and I think the, the process management side of things is probably more of a science. Um, it's mixed in with some art, particularly as it relates, relates to things like estimation of work. That's a really hard thing to, to ever turn into a science, although you can get close. But the strategy side, I, I think that's particularly in a startup when you're looking for product mar- market fit. Um, you know, that's an art. Yeah, absolutely. And so with your new role now, well, it's not so new, but your role at Pager, uh, for those who don't know what Pager is, can you tell them what Pager is and, and what you're doing there? Yeah, so so Pager's, um, it's kind of, I kind of see it as a natural evolution kind of of, of, of the, the journey that I've been on. So we didn't talk a whole heck of a lot of, about what Rally does, but, um, you know, in, in, in so many words, Rally builds um, self-service interfaces uh, for consumers, right? So if you need to find a doctor, if you need to price care, if you need to uh, enroll in your benefits, uh, certainly what Rally Choice did. Um, Rally's got a, a self-service uh, consumer experience for that. And frankly, if you're a United Healthcare member uh, now, and I think there's a, about 50 million of them, odds are most of the, the digital self-service experience that you have is powered by Rally. So, so, mm. so we did a pretty, pretty good job building that. But one of the things uh, kind of that I, that I saw through my time there is you, know, you can build these, these really simple, these really straightforward interfaces. And for some consumers, that works really well. But it only works well when consumers have what, um, let's call it, the they have an appropriate level of health literacy to be able to use that information. So um, give you an example is, you know, using Rally's tools, I can very easily find out um, and very intuitively find out that there are 500 doctors within 10 miles of my current location. Mm. But what Rally can't tell you is whether or not you need to see a doctor in the first place. Right. So, uh, it, you know, if, if, if you've uh, web indeed or Googled yourself into thinking, um, you know, a very simple headache is, is something uh, much more. I can't tell you that you don't need to see the doctor or vice versa. Yeah. You decided now nah, I'll, I'll be fine. It hasn't lasted five days. Uh, I can't tell you, you know, you need to be in the emergency room right now with those <laughs> self-service tools. Yeah. Um, and, and so uh, what, what we do at Pager is, is, is really build on that. We say, well, we recognize uh, there's a lot of a lot of instances where self-service is is a great experience and it delivers a lot of value, but there's also a lot of others where consumers lack the the appropriate level of health literacy to be able to make the best decisions for themselves and their families. Uh, and so we connect uh, Pager. We connect uh, folks with 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 experts, uh, people who can, people who have the health literacy that they need, whether that's a nurse, whether that's a physician. Uh, or, or, or even, you know, sort of like a customer service rep or, or a guide who can say, uh, let me help you understand how deductibles work. And, and, and we do that, um, all, all, uh, all via, uh, chat. And this is a much different business as well to, than anything you've worked on before, because you guys are venture backed, you're, you're trying to scale. I mean, initially started off as a, as a consumer product, and then you guys pivoted into a B2B product. Um, do you, do you, you know, do you want to talk a little bit about, about that? And I think you mentioned it earlier, the fact that you prefer B2B as opposed to B2C, right? Yeah, I, I do. In fact, I mean, I, I kind of, uh, joined pager at the right time to kind of help, uh, help the business transform from being a direct to consumer company into a B2B2C company. Um, still, you know, as a company, we've, we've, we've 
not lost our consumer DNA and our consumer focus, but um, we, we've we've sort of um, worked to to build our business around working with incumbents, um, you know, large health plans, large provider systems, and the like in this space um, to 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 be able to to deliver value, um, you know, to consumers. Awesome, Andrew. I want to work towards wrapping up now, um, and I want to ask a few rapid fire questions so we've got 10 questions here give me your best answers okay and then, and then let me know yeah your answer to each question um, so my best. yeah so what has or who has been your biggest inspiration to today uh my dad awesome favorite podcast this one okay i'll take that <laughs> uh so my so my favorite podcast is uh how did this get made I don't know if you've had a chance to. Uh, I've heard of they, that. They they, they 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 review bad movies. Yeah, yeah, no, and I've ask heard the of question, that. How did this get made? Favorite blog. Give you more business answer here. This is probably the the Silicon Valley product group. Um, they've got a they've got an insights blog. It's just really really well written uh, content. Really sort of straightforward, practical um, sort of intelligence on 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 how to manage product. What's it called? Uh, it's the uh, product. Man, or I'm sorry, it's the Silicon Valley product group. It's their insights blog. Ah, that's not the Marty Kagan blog, is it? Marty Kagan writes a lot for them. Ah, yes, I know that blog very well. It's a great blog. Favorite book? Tough one. Um, so, uh, let's say my favorite recent book, Stress Test by uh, Tim Geithner. He was, the, uh, he was the Secretary of the Treasury during the financial crisis. Um, it's just a, it's a fun read. Because uh, that was a terrifying moment in financial history. <laughs> I'm sure. Favorite IG account? Favorite Instagram account. So I, I will caution you, I don't spend a lot of time on social media. So here I'll say my wife's. Okay, safe answer. What do you wish you could do that you can't currently do? Be a pilot. Okay, that's fine. I feel like you're, you're going to do that at some point in your life. My, my, my vision is not really up to that, but we'll see. <laughs> the advice you would give to your 21-year-old self? This one's be hard, hard to rapid fire. So actually, I, 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 the, the same advice that I give to my 21-year-old self is the same thing that I actually told the, our entire company recently at, uh, at one of our all hands. And um, I, I, uh, I kind of phrased it, uh, or I kind of looked at it as, uh, you've seen Ferris Bueller, but uh, he famously once said, um, his advice to, to the viewing audience was slow down and, and, and take, a, take a moment to look around once in a while, otherwise you, you might miss it. And the reason I, I, I brought that up to, to our group and the reason I'd raised that to my 21-year-old self is startups are incredibly intense environments. And I think as a result of that, in, that, that sort of uh, intensity, we've got a tendency when we're in them to be really myopic in our view. Mm. Um, this applies to me and I think everybody else I work with. You know, t- Today was a bad day because I had to deal with a difficult client or we missed the delivery date or QA didn't, you, know, you name it, right? All, you know, likewise, today could be great because we pushed a great new feature to production. We landed a new client, you know, so on and so forth. But I, I think you know, sometimes it's, it's important to pull ourselves up and, and take um, sort of the long view. And, and, and how you do that, I mean, what, what I encourage myself uh, to this day, would have encouraged my 21-year-old self to do this, and I encourage everybody to do when they're in this environment, is, is to ask themselves uh, a series of pretty simple questions. And it's, you know, are we in a better spot than we were a month ago? Are we in a better spot than we were a quarter ago? Are we in a better spot than we were a year ago? And if the answer is that, you know, if the answer to that is, is yes, um, you know, that gives you... A, 
a little bit longer view um, than you know just what happened you know today, whether whether it was good or whether it was bad, and kind of uh, you know abstracts some of some of that intensity. Mm. No, that's good. That's 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 really good. If you had a hundred dollars in your favorite city, what would you spend it on? However long that would rent me a car on the autobahn, maybe outside of Munich. <laughs> okay, nice. What's the one thing, rather, startups should ignore in the early days? I, I'm starting to create a theme here, um, unintentionally. But I think, I think I would say the allure of, uh, of going direct to consumer. You know, it, it seems so simple. It seems so fascinating. And, you know, that's the Facebooks and the Instagrams and the YouTubes. But the number of companies that that that, that fail um, in in that space, I mean, you, you don't hear about them as much. Um, but the success rate on B two B companies or B two B two C companies is so much higher. Yeah. Um, and it's it's you know it's, it's not as sexy, and uh, the stories aren't as good. But I'll take a Salesforce over a Facebook uh, any day. <laughs> Dude, I think I'm going to have to put that on a t-shirt. I will take a Salesforce over Facebook any day. That's good. Yeah. What's your vision? I guess, what's your vision for Pager right now? You know, where do, you know is it an IPO? Like, where do you see this going? So, I, I, don't, I don't think we know yet. Um, and, and that's, uh, if you think back to the stories that I've walked you through in my career, that's been a, a consistent theme. We, we haven't known. But I, I think... What, what the vision is, is to um, deliver on our mission of, 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 you know, connecting people and helping people make better decisions in healthcare. And, and, and I think our, our vision uh, is to do that as much as we possibly can and reach more and more folks and, you know, sort of use that to, to fundamentally change uh, how healthcare is delivered, whether that ends up in an IPO, whether that ends up in an acquisition. I don't know. We'll, we'll figure that one out. But I, I trust that if, if we're doing uh, what we've set out to do, those those call those those cards, uh, so to speak, will eventually fall into uh, the right place. That's awesome, Andrew. Thank you so much for coming on the show. If yeah, thanks people, for having me. It's been fun. If people want to find you, if you want to be found, where can they find you? LinkedIn. Okay. Andrew McGill. It's M A C G I L L. Andrew, this was awesome. Thank you so much. Just want to say another huge thank you to Andrew for coming on the show and sharing his journey with us. So many key takeaways, so many insights for sure. As always, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. And if you haven't already, please subscribe and leave us a review on the Apple Podcasting app or anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts. They honestly do go a long way. Until next time, guys, keep grinding.